1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, verses 1 and 2. Hear now the word of the Lord, and please give your full attention, for his word is faithful and true. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, and now to the preaching of his word, let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would grant us, Lord, grace, peace, and also encouragement, Lord, as we consider the manner in which you have and have continued to perfect your church and while perfecting her, protecting her. Give us grace to see that what has been true of Corinth is also true not only of this church, but of, of the church of all time, that you are perfecting your bride, readying her so that she may be prepared, made holy, pure, to be received by her groom. And Lord, in that process, you are also protecting her. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we begin our worship through Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth. Uh, I will say, before I take one step further, one say one further word in this sermon, this sermon will be vastly different than most of sermons that that I have been preaching, uh, most sermons that you hear in this church. and it is a a sermon of, of introduction, at least a sermon concerning the church at Corinth. Um, it is a, a sermon of introduction. But I do pray that there is a point that is made in this sermon that runs throughout and that you see is not only um, not only true of this church, but it will be true of the church of Corinth at Corinth. In the beginning, and also true of what we learn about the church at Corinth at the end. And it is this, and if you're looking for a title, it is this. The church perfected and protected. The church perfected, perfected, and protected. By the love and goodness of God, we have enjoyed over two and a half years in the apocalypse of John. And now, with God's help, we turn our attention to worship in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. As is the custom of your elders, Pastor Isaiah in the book of Exodus, and now myself in 1 Corinthians, we have no timeline as to when our worship in these holy books will conclude. How long will we be in 1 Corinthians? I don't know. 
Um, as I said in Revelation, maybe until the Lord returns. Because this is so, your elders must be prayerful. Because we have no timeline, we must be prayerful. We also ask that you are interceding for us. That you pray that we are guided by the Spirit of God, who gives wisdom to all who ask, so that we may know which portion of God's Word would be most helpful for His church, this church, at this particular time. I hope that that statement makes sense. We are asking that you would pray that God would give your elders wisdom so that we may know which portion of His holy word would be most helpful for His church, this church, at this particular time. If you have been in this church for any length of time, then you know that your elders are not wired in such a way that we can teach through the entire Bible two or three times in our lifetime. We're just not wired that way. However, um, it, this is not meant to be a statement of slight toward those who are able to preach two or three times through the Bible in their entire lifetime. If they can do that, more power to you, as I, Pastor Isaiah and I are just not wired that way. We typically spend at least a year to three years in any book that we preach through. And with those averages, the both of us individually would need 130 years to preach the entire Bible. Beginning when we were born. Therefore, with our limited time, we must depend upon the wisdom of God to know what portion of his word would be most beneficial for his people in this time and place? What portion of God's word would be most helpful for our advancing in the knowledge of God and love of God? What portion of God's word would he use for us now to conform us to the divine persons, to Father, Son, and Spirit? I think that someone might be thinking, and a proper response would be, isn't all of God's word God's word? And therefore, isn't all of God's word worthy of our attention at any time and at any place? So therefore, wouldn't any portion of God's word be good for our church? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, any portion of God's word would be good for, God, for God's people at any time. But I'd like to add a particular detail to that for the reason of choosing 1 Corinthians. Therefore, why 1 Corinthians, right? I believe that our, our next journey through 1 Corinthians has been decreed by God. That, that it is the will of God that we are in 1 Corinthians, this church, 1 Corinthians, at this particular time, to mature us for his glory, to further conform us to him, to make us like him, to ready us as a bride who is prepared, pure and holy for her groom. That God will accomplish this further in 1 Corinthians. Now, what makes me believe that? Why 1 Corinthians now? Why is it the will of God now? Well, as the elders began to pray and think, Pastor Isaiah will usually ask me, um, probably about halfway through when I'm in a book, where do you think you're going to go next? And I, I will usually say, I don't know. I have no idea. Because I know I have a lot of time. Well, this time about halfway, I, I said to Pastor Isaiah, I, I don't know. And then towards the end, I think 1 Corinthians. We began to discuss, but his immediate response without hesitation was, it's a good idea. I like that. 
Our agreement. How do I know? Because our agreement is testimony that God is leading the elders of this church to preach Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth. Our agreement is testimony that God is leading us. It's the same thing with Exodus. Matter of fact, when Pastor Isaiah brought up the book of Exodus, he also brought up other books. What about this? I'm thinking about going through that. And then I'm thinking about going through Exodus. And, I, and we both go, ooh, that's good. I like Exodus. That would be good for our church right now. Pastor Isaiah mentioned uh, a few other books. But like I said, the Lord was leading him to Exodus. How do we know that? Because of the agreement of the elders. We, we learned this a few weeks ago when we had a members meeting. There was an agreement of the church when we agreed that Brother Dustin would be put forth to be trained for gifted brother. There is an agreement of the church which tells us that God is leading us this way. What's the alternative? Uh, the alternative is clear. Your elders could be in disagreement, may God forbid, over which portion of God's word to preach next. I could be saying, I want, I think First Corinthians and Pastor Isaiah could say, no, I think Titus. And we could have a sharp disagreement about that. God forbid, and God be to God be the glory, we did not. We could have been divided. Not believing that this particular portion of God's word, though still God's word, would be best for the church today, at this time. But praise be to God, we are in fact in agreement. And may unity and peace continue. So why First Corinthians? Especially considering all that we know, or at least think that we know, about 1 Corinthians, or about the church of Corinth, at Corinth. What do you know about the church at Corinth? What do you know? First thoughts. What do you know about the church of Corinth? I think that what most will say, I asked my wife the other day, I said, honey, what do you know about the church at Corinth? She goes, I, I don't really, and, and honestly, we've read through Corinth, we're toward the end of the Bible now, and she says, but wasn't that a bad church? I think that that's the consensus around most people when you think about the church at Corinth. Isn't church the church at Corinth a bad church? And aren't we a good church? So what could we possibly learn from the church at Corinth if they're a bad church and we're a good church? What could they teach us? How could God further conform us to, to him by showing us a bad example, right? What, what, what could we possibly have in common with them? Why do the elders agree that the next two or three years of our lives, if the Lord allows us to continue to be here, would be spent in 1 Corinthians? <clears throat> well, let's continue to answer this question that, that was previously asked. Wouldn't any portion of God's word be appropriate in, at any time? The answer is, of course. But there are truths in this letter, in this epistle, that we believe will be used by God in this time and place to conform you, his people, to himself in ways, listen to this, that other portions of scripture cannot. For example, the book of Esther is equally God's word, but it will not address divisions in the church because of sinfully favoring one minister over another, as Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth will. Equally God's word, but not going to address that issue. The letter to Philemon is equally God's word, but it will not address the sin of finding greater pleasure in worldly eloquence and worldly wisdom over the simple message of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is foolishness to the world, as Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth will address. The book of Numbers, another example, 
is equally God's word, but it will not address the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, New Testament liturgy, church discipline, Christian liberty, spiritual gifts, nor the resurrection of Christ the way Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth will. I think you get my point. All of God's word is God's word. But we have been given 66 books that address different matters of the church and different biblical doctrines. And yet all of it is used for the for the perfecting of God's church, his bride, for his glory. So then why this letter? Uh, what will this letter teach us? Saints, <clears throat> here's what the letter is going to teach us. Our church, he said a moment ago, isn't that a bad church? And, and aren't we a good church? Our church was not always what it is today. We have been a church now for nearly 16 years. You have, uh, I've had the privilege of being one of your elders now for 13 and a half years. Our church, as it is today, was not always what it is today. We were a four-square church with heavy traditions of the charismatic church we uh, woven into our church. Thanks be to God that most of you were not here during that time. But for those of you who were, may God give to you a special blessing when you see him face to face. Most of you were not here in the days when people would stand up in the middle of a worship service shouting, not speaking, shouting in, in so-called tongues. It happened here. Not speaking, shouting to the top of their very lives in a so-called tongue. You weren't here for that. Most of you were not here during the days of unbiblical administrations of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is, the random baptisms that we used to have, where members would baptize members. Most of you weren't here for that. Most of you were not here... During the times of anyone can come to the supper, Lord's Supper practice. Come one, come all. You got a little kid, give it to them too. We were confused. But we were still looking for direction. We had no idea what we were doing, but we wanted to know what we were doing. See the difference there? There's a difference between having no idea what you're doing, but think you know exactly what you're doing and will not be changed. We had no idea what we were doing, but were willing to learn and grow. In spite of these unbiblical acts, the Lord decreed that the lamp of this church, <laughs> that it would continue to shine. In spite of the things that I have just mentioned to you, the Lord decreed that the lamp of this church would continue to shine Though it was not as bright as it would be, that it would still continue to shine. Why? Because he was perfecting this church. And it's still. And while perfecting his church, he was also protecting his church. This church. The Lord was gracious to us. And when the Lord kindly began to guide this church in a more biblical, faithful, uh, a more biblically faithful way, we first began to worship through the Gospel of John. Some of you here with it through that. We spent two years worshiping through the Gospel of John. I believe it would take me four years, maybe longer now, to preach the Gospel of John. 
And it was at that time that God established something that was lacking in this church, and here it was. When we went through the Gospel of John, what was going on here? What was missing that, that we really needed after we moved away from all the charismatic four square stuff stuff? What what did what was the first thing the Lord established in this church? Here it is. A firm understanding and foundation of the gospel. If you were here during that time, you remember that, that the word gospel, gospel, gospel. What is the gospel? Tell your neighbors the gospel. Tell yourself the gospel. The gospel was said maybe a thousand times during our times of worship. It was the, the most important thing in this church and is. But it was the thing that we were all just learning. The Lord was establishing in us something that was lacking. A firm understanding and foundation of the gospel. It was what the church needed most at that time to go forward. To know the gospel. We always need the gospel. We always need to be living in light of the gospel. But our church today is firmly grounded. Our little ones even know. Firmly grounded on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every member, if you are a, a member, recognized member of this church, you know the gospel. You, you, in order to be affirmed as a member of this church, you must share your testimony. And in that testimony, there, be, there must be evidence that you know and confess the gospel. This could not be said back in 2014. Of this church. It could not be said of this church back in 2014 that every member knows the gospel. But it can be said of our church now. How many churches are there right now that if you say to them, are you a member of that church? Yes. Do you know the gospel? Tell me the gospel. And they wouldn't have the slightest idea. The Lord was perfecting this church by establishing in her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord used the gospel of John in this church as we learn the foundations of Reformed theology. It, it, we were all being introduced to it, you might remember. And establishing us with a firm understanding of the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened our eyes at that time to see that those who believe in his name are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 1. We learn that the new birth Man being born again is a gracious act of God's love wherein he stands at our tomb, as it were. When we were laying there because of the sin of Adam and because of our own sins. And he mercifully called our names. Doreen, come forth. Mary, come forth. Anthony, come forth. He called a race of Lazaruses to come forth, to know him and to live. He removed the bonds of death that were upon us and set us free to new life in him. The Lord displayed his love and his kindness to his church, this church. By graciously allowing our minds to understand his word in a way that was new to us, but undeniably true. What sweet days those were. Well, when we were first learning words like the doctrines of grace, uh, like irresistible grace, like... Uh, Total depravity. Though, though not sweet, it was still true. The Lord guided us in those days through the Gospel of John. And at the same time that he was guiding us, he was also perfecting us. He was conforming us. And while he was perfecting us, he was also protecting us. Here's why. While we were being established and grounded in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were at the same time experiencing division, weren't we? If you were here at that time, you remember 
the divisions, especially over the doctrines of grace. You remember, if you were here at that time, those who said, I, I cannot worship here any longer because of this, this, of these doctrines. I can, I cannot be here any longer because of how this church views how God saves. Those were difficult days, saints. Those were hard days. But they were days that because of what the Lord was revealing to us in the gospel of John caused the elders and the members who stayed to be firmly established in the gospel and in the truth that God is the first mover in salvation. That God initiates salvation. That that we love him because he first loved us. And even though we experienced pain, and it was painful. Because of the divisions in the church, our hearts were encouraged. Knowing that God was broadening our view of just how wonderfully loving he is. And that he provides the debt of satisfaction that we owe. And he also provides faith to believe in the one who paid that debt of satisfaction. God does this. It was, and praise be to God, remains the will of God that the lamp of this church continued to shine. And it got a little bit brighter. Shining for his glory. In this, God reveals that he was not only perfecting his church, but he was also protecting his church. And may God continue to do so until he returns in glory. After establishing this church, his church, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the will of God that we, that we went back to the beginning. That we went all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Why? What was lacking in the church at that time that, that Genesis was the appropriate direction for this church? A knowledge of God. A knowledge of God and how he preserves his people who wait for the blessed Savior to come. A knowledge of God, after being firmly established in the gospel, that he would bring us to the beginning, to him who created all things, heaven and earth, by the power of his word. And, and interesting enough that while we were going through Genesis, Pastor Isaiah was walking through theology proper. Doctrine of God. So we were getting a steady dose of, of God who created all things in the mornings and then in the afternoons or however we used to do it at that time. Pastor Isaiah was teaching us through the doctrine of God. It was a harmonious time. In Genesis, we were introduced to the God who was impassable. And that was a new thing for us. You mean God is not passionate for me? You mean that, that God is not passionate for me at all? And the answer is no, he's not. But rather, he could not love you any more than he has eternally loved you. But the love that God loves you with is a perfect, unchangeable love. And there's nothing that you can do to make it greater or lesser. He loves you with absolute, perfect love. And we go, okay, God is impassable. I believe it. In Genesis, we were introduced to the doctrine of the Sabbath. That was fun. In Genesis, we were introduced to the Garden Temple, to the Abrahamic Covenant, to the fall of man, to the fall of, to the Adamic Covenant, to the fall of man, the promise of a Redeemer who would come and crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis, we stood in holy fear of God who destroyed the whole world by way of flood because of man's wickedness of heart and because of the holiness of God. We worship God who confused the languages at Babel, who called an old man from Ur the Chaldeans 
and graciously gave him a covenantal promise that from him all the nations of the world will be blessed. We worship God as we learned that he is faithful to his word and that he keeps covenant. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were preserved by God as they looked to a land whose builder and maker is God, whose builder and maker is not made by, whose land is not made by hands of human hands, but whose builder and maker is God. They looked to him who would carry them into that promised land. They waited in faith. And the Lord gave to his people a type of the one who was to come in Joseph. The man of God who, though betrayed, though sold into slavery, though unjustly accused, unjustly imprisoned, was elevated. Served in the house of a pagan, holding fast to his faith in his God, the God of his fathers, he endured. And he was used by God to save many from famine, reunited with his brothers in mercy and loved as he give, showed to them undeserved mercy and love. And he was a type of the one to come, the one whom old Israel was waiting for, and the one whom we now are waiting for, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised that he will return quickly. And just like when we worship through the Gospel of John, while we went through Genesis, we experienced divisions. When we worship through the book of Genesis, it was during that time we adopted The 1689 London Baptist Confession. Oh, and that was fun for us. A new document. And this document meant that we were no longer going to be vague about doctrines, such as the Holy Scriptures, the Trinity and creation, which most people are not vague about. But when we became very clear about what we believed and confessed about free will, about the Sabbath, about baptism, and the Last Judgment, Divisions began to incur. Divisions began to take place. We agreed with the Baptist Confession, and we also were asking that if you were to be a member of this church, you must also have no disagreements, no large disagreements with the Confession. Our worship through the book of Genesis coincided with the doctrines of grace, Uh, with many doctrines, I should say, taught in the confession and once again caused many divisions to arise. You remember? As I reflected on this period of our life in the church, it came to me that this was probably the hardest time in ministry of my life. Not not John. John was an easy one. We were all in cage stage. We all said, ah, it doesn't matter. You're probably not saved anyways, which we all take back, right? But it was when we got to the confession. It was when we began, we began to deal with things like the Sabbath and how we worship the Lord's Day and how we honor the Lord's Day. It became a little bit more difficult. Actually, a lot more difficult. They were some of the hardest times in my life as a Christian and as a minister. And yet the Lord was kind to us. Even in my own deficiencies as a minister and as a communicator, as someone who was able to reason, the Lord was sufficient and kind in mine and your weaknesses. He was not only perfecting the church through Genesis, amidst the divisions that arose, he was also protecting the church. As we walked through Genesis and adopted these new documents, 
like the Confession, and also like our Constitution. But something beautiful began to happen toward the end of Genesis. The visions began to cease. The waters began to calm. The church became more united. Because of our understanding of who we were, who we are, and what we believe finally became clear, everyone who was on the ship said, let's go. I don't plan on getting off anytime soon. Greater unity was displayed when we were accepted into the Southern California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches. Eleven churches who confess the same faith, who meet four times a year to display the kind of unity that we were enjoying in this church, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. When we join with them, it's a larger expression of what we have here in the unity the Lord has given to us in this church. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. We don't need to come to church anymore going, I know that guy's going to be leaving any time. It was tough. The Lord gave us strength, gave us mercy, and he was perfecting and protecting us. It was, and praise be to God, remains the will of God that the lamp of this church continued to shine a little bit brighter and continued to shine for his glory, even even through some of the darkest days of our ministry, of this church. The Lord is kind. Not only was he perfecting, but also protecting this church and continues to do so. When we concluded our worship through the book of Genesis, it was our great challenge to go from the beginning now to the end. The Apocalypse of John, the book of Revelation. I admit that there was some apprehension going into the Apocalypse of John simply because I was not sure that I was equipped. And I was thinking about my own strengths and not the strength that God would give me. That I was equipped to climb. But praise be to God, he gave me grace to humble myself. To remember, this is not about me. This is about him. It's not about how smart I am. It's about his spirit working powerfully within us. And praise be to God, he gave us not only strength to climb, but to reach the summit of Mount Revelation. We got there. We reached the top. We saw it all. If we uh, continue with this idea that, that each book is directed by God based upon something that was simply lacking in the church. What was lacking in the church prior to the, to the Apocalypse of John? Um, what did God work in this church? I think it was this. What was lacking in this church and does not lack anymore is a proper view of the last days. Many of us would not be able to understand, to rightfully tell what are the last days. Many of us had had, had an improper view of what tribulation was. Many of us had an improper view of who is Israel. 144,000, on and on and on. Many of us had a proper understanding, an improper understanding of, of how to rest in the victory of the person and work of Christ and what it means for us to release our grip on the temporary goods of this world and reach out and cling to that which is eternal, namely God Almighty, who will grant to us the beatific vision when all things are made new. We needed to know that. Revelation is one of those books, saints, 
that could be preached anytime, anywhere, anyplace. I confess, it's, it's unique to all the other books in the scriptures. It's one of those books that could be preached anytime, anywhere, anyplace, and it will always be the right time. Because God speaks to his people in Revelation who are living in the last days. And after Christ rose from the dead, the church for over 2,000 years has been living in the last days. While we worship through Revelation, the words of our Lord rang true as he described the last days as being filled with false messiahs, false ministers, of wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, famines, increasing in, increase in lawlessness, um, a decrease in love for man and persecution of the church. Saints of God, we are living in the last days. Since Christ rose from the dead, the church has been enduring trial and opposition because since the day that Christ rose from the dead, we have been living in the last days. We share in the sufferings of the seven churches of Asia Minor. We share in the sufferings of the church for all time, though in different ways. Through Revelation, we learn that our highest good is not found in the temporary goods of this world, but in the eternal highest good that is only found in God Almighty. Therefore, we are encouraged through Revelation not to cling and hold on to temporary goods as if they were the ultimate good, the highest good, and that as if they would last with us forever, but to cling to God, who is our greatest and highest good, and who is eternal. Amen. That good which we shall never lose, and that good which we find our highest joy in. Amen. We learn to find our greatest joy in the one who made us to know him, and in knowing him, love him, and in loving him, finding satisfaction in him. We learned that heaven, the eternal state, is not a place where our wildest earthly dreams come true. But it's even better than that. Amen. I think that that's, I hope that, 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 that we walked away with that. That heaven is not a place where our wildest dreams come true. My, my nephew and my son and some of you others love to play basketball. And you go, I love playing basketball. And there is a greater joy than even that which you enjoy in that game. My niece, of course, the greatest basketball player in this church, by the way. Uh, there is a greater joy found in even the greatest things that we enjoy here on earth. Heaven is that. It is God. It is there, there in Revelation that we, that we learn this. And we shall see his face. There will be no more tears. There will be no more darkness. No more pain. And we shall see his face. We are received. We needed to know this. We, before we leave this place, we needed to know this. It was, it was God's way of perfecting us. We needed to grow in this. So that at the end of Revelation, our minds and hearts might be taught to long for the victorious return of Christ in glory. Knowing that his victory has won for his people the beatitude vision. Behold, we shall see his face. I hope that you look back. Yeah. At, at John, yeah. and you look, if, if you were here, and look back at Genesis, and you look back at Revelation, and you go, man, God has really been shaping me. God has really been perfecting me all this time. It's not been easy. It's no one ever said it was going to be. But he has been perfecting me all this time. And, and through all the difficulty that Pastor Antonio has just mentioned, he's also been protecting me because there's been some days. There has been some days when I was not sure. 
I was not sure if I was going to remain not only in, in this church, but in any church. God has been protecting me. He has kept this lamp shining. As we worship through the apocalypse of John, to God be the glory, there were no divisions. No cases of church discipline. Not that I can think of. No cases of church discipline. We only had to say, we'll see you later to one of our dear brothers who's enjoying the beta division even now. Our dear brother Louie. We've only had to say goodbye to just the one. No mem- a, few me- a few members were added. A lot more babies were added. A lot more are coming. It was and is the will of God that the lamp of this church continue to shine. And it's getting brighter. For his glory. For the glory of his kingdom. And God has displayed to us evidences that he is with us. Because he has been perfecting us and protecting us. Preparing us as a bride readying us for his arrival. And now, the elders have agreed that God is directing us to Paul's letter to the, to Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth. Now, what could we possibly learn? Going back to the question, what could we possibly learn from this church? We're a good church, a healthy church at that. Corinth was an unhealthy church. Wait, watch this, right? Of all the churches in the New Testament, The church of Corinth is the least desired church to be compared to. No one wants to go to a church and go, that church reminds me of the church of Corinth. No pastor wants to say, wants people to say about his church, the church that he is serving, "Um, your church is like the church of Corinth. It would be, it would be offensive, wouldn't it? We all want to say, my, my church, the church I worship at, the church where I serve, it's like the church of Ephesus. It's like the church of Thessalonica. It's like the Church of Philadelphia. But Corinth? The church at Corinth is the kind of church that if we were members there, we might as well have sought membership somewhere between first and second Corinthians, somewhere else. So then why first Corinthians? Because as we have just concluded nearly three years of an ascent of Mount Revelation, we've been given a glimpse. Here's what we saw when we were up there. We've been given a glimpse, though through a glass dimly, of a perfect church. When we were on top of Mount Revelation, we saw this perfect church coming down out of, out of heaven as a bride adorned. Perfectly adorned for her, for her husband. We saw, we were given a glimpse of a of a church full of the brilliance of the glory of God, who shining like a, a costly stone, a stone of crystal, crystal clear jasper. We saw a church whose walls are too high and too wide to be invaded by an enemy ever again. We saw a church who was guarded by holy angels, who inwardly was like pure glass and outwardly walks upright as if every step that she produced Every step that she took produced gold footprints behind her. That pure. That's what the streets of gold mean, by the way. The glorified church is what we saw. No sin. No imperfection. 
No need for sun or moon to illuminate her. The glory of God illuminates her perfectly. Her, her endless eternity is sharing in the plenitude of, of, of being with God. Triune. And therefore, and there she remains without end. We, we saw the perfect church. We were up there. Here's what ultimately brought me, because Pastor Isaiah is the one who convinced me that, and I agreed. He says to me, brother, we just saw a perfect church up here. But guess where we live? Down here. We are a church who is in process of being perfected. Not yet perfected. Which means... We are looking at ourselves when we see First Corinthians. We are looking at a church on the way. We are looking at a church who is not yet perfected, but is being perfected. And even in the midst of division, and even in the midst of unbiblical things that need to be corrected, corrected not just with First Corinthians, not just with Second Corinthians, but with letters that would come after Paul's death to the church of Corinth. We are being showed in them that God is not only perfecting the church, but he is also protecting the church. Because here's what's true about the church of Corinth. The church is still there today. It still remains today. This church, if we go, I don't want to be anything like that church. Well, over 2,000 years later, they're still there. I want to be something like that church. I want RBC, should the Lord tarry. To be a church that remains on and on and who we can look back and go. We didn't always start this way. But the Lord has been perfecting and protecting this church all this time. And he has not willed that our lamp go out. God has revealed his goodness to his church by shielding her from the threats of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Who is seeking to take our light out of this world. And God has said, no. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. He's given us his promise. So why first Corinthians? Because through this letter, we shall learn of the shepherd's love and care. Of his patience. And of his aim. Of a bride who was to have a bride who was holy, adorned and ready to be received by her groom. And all the Lord has started, he will complete. The work that God has has began in Christ in you, he will bring to completion. First Corinthians, we shall see that we are not so different from from the church at Corinth. We're actually a lot like them. Maybe not because of the activities going on, per se. But the Lord perfected and brought that church home. And he is doing the same for you here at RBC. When I consider the history of this church and where we are today, we are much like the church of Corinth. In spite of all of her rough edges, they are called out of darkness into her light, shining for his glory. In spite of all of her imperfections, the Lord is pleased to grant them his spirit to perfect them, to conform them to the divine persons, to cause their lamp to remain And may the same be said about us here at RBC. The Lord has kept and is keeping his promise. He will build his church. And this is true of all churches in all places at all times. 
all churches are like, are like the church of Corinth. Every single one of them. Though we hate to be compared to them, we are all like them. And the Lord reveals that he is a patient builder. Constructing his people with loving precision. And that he will at the same time as he is building, put a large gate around us. No one's allowed in here. She's not done yet. I'm not done building her yet. The Lord is and will build his church. And while he does, he will perfect and protect us. Aren't we witnesses to this wonderful truth? So that when we go through 1 Corinthians and we start to shake our head and say, the nerve of these people, let's not remember where we came from. Let's not forget where we came from. Let's not remember, let's not forget where we were and who we were. We are not so different from them. So with that said, saints, as we next week begin part two, as it were, of our introduction to 1 Corinthians, may God grant us grace as we worship him through 1 Corinthians. May he reveal his loving care as a great shepherd who guides his people through the wilderness of these last days. May God further sanctify us by his word and assimilate us to himself as he readies us, his church, to behold him for all time. May God bless RBC as he has done in the past, for these past now 16 years and with me and Pastor Isaiah 13 years. May God continue to perfect his church and protect his church unto glory until he returns for his glory. Let us pray.